Welcome to The Storied Life, everyone. I'm your host and co-founder, Lana Jackson, and I'm joined by my sister and co-founder, Jalene. Hi, everyone. Today, we're super excited to sit down with Teresa Abagla. Teresa is a Nigerian-born, LA and London-based designer. In 2012, Teresa's vision for luxury footwear, inspired by her African heritage, was brought to life. Chelsea Paris was named for both of her daughters, Chelsea and Paris, and the brand is the embodiment of diverse creativity, global perspective, and timeless luxury. European craftsmanship is seamlessly fused with Teresa's African-inspired designs, colors, and prints. Chelsea Paris shoes are designed for conscientious free spirits who refuse to compromise. The brand has been worn by Beyonce, Lapita Nyong'o, Zendaya, Selena Gomez, and most recently, Abby Phillips of CNN. Welcome to The Storied Life, Teresa. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. (laughs) Um, So let's jump right in. So last month, we celebrated Women's History Month. And I just want to know, was there anything special that you did to celebrate the month or any memorable moments? Actually, for me, the month was really just about celebrating my daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted them to know the importance of um, women in Stremont. And I really just kind of, uh, we had a lot of Q&A sessions about Black women and just women entrepreneurs. Um, luckily, I had an article on me by Footway News. So I was able to point that to them. And there were other women entrepreneurs that were profiled. And um, I kind of explained to them the reason why I named the brand after them because I wanted to empower them to, for them to have that confidence and mm-hmm. to know that they do have a voice, even when it's a man's world or when it's a, 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 um, a white world, that whatever you want to do is important as a woman to lead the way, to be your, to be your own leader and to follow your path. So um, in, in a sense, they see how I hustle, I struggle. Mm-hmm. And I told them that my hustle is really their inspiration. I want them to not be overshadowed by men or by anybody to raise their head up high and say, women, I'm a woman. I can do what a man can do. I can do what anybody can do. So that's really what I, I used it as a teachable moment for my girls. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, I love that you did that. And I love that, you know, you're the height of your career and just the fact that we're in a place and time in our culture where we're centering women and we're centering women who are also working moms is just amazing. And so I'm glad that you guys are able to have that moment, uh, uh, that teachable moment last month. That's really great. Yeah. And I just love the spirit of empowerment and just, um, I think really encouraging, um, young women, um, to own their voice, know that they can, um, do the things that they want to uh, accomplish and not to be held back in life by men or by a society or by others' expectations. So mm-hmm. love that you're um, using those sort of teachable moments to um, encourage the next generation um, of yeah. women, starting with your own um, daughter. You know, I, I really struggled with it. So I feel like it's good to have good examples. Mm-hmm. And to know that it's okay to struggle. It's okay to find yeah. the balance. Because uh, I was in corporate America and I was always the only woman and always the only black woman in the room, in the leadership room. And I had to find my footing. I, I, could, I could see the looks I got. I could see the stares. I could see the comments. So I had to find a way to kind of like, no, I'm here for a reason because I'm experienced, because I'm educated and because I have a right to be here and you need to respect that. So I had to learn that. And so I really want to impact that. And I think we 
examples, the more you see of yourself or see people similar to you, the more you can say, okay, she can do it. Then I can do it no matter how rocky the road is. Yeah. And I also love um, just what you said about taking up space mm-hmm. um, and sort of like ownership of um, your voice and just knowing like I'm here, I'm valuable, I'm worthy, I can take up space um, even if I am the only one. So really just love that message of um, empowerment and ownership um, over our womanhood. And just speaking of like a women's history and empowerment, I think it's safe to say that um, most women, um, I think historically, I would probably say have a love affair uh, with shoes. Um, and so wanted to know for you, what was that aha moment that led you um, from shoe collector to shoe designer? designer yeah so uh thank you guys and i'm happy that you know that i my passion was uh for shoes i've always been a collector i think for me the aha moment was um i was on a flight from london to los angeles and i read a magazine the magazine they have in the pockets mm-hmm. about shoe designers uh it was about there were three profiles christian Louboutin, jimmy shoe and um manon Oblanik. and literally on that flight i had my aha moment it clicked I felt like, oh my goodness, I know I've always been fascinated with shoes, but I really should be in the act of creating shoes. This is what I really should do. I'm very stubborn and bold. Normally, I don't think through my, my ideas. And uh, literally on that flight, it was an 11-hour flight, and I got back to LA. I told my husband at the airport that, you know what? I know that you say I'm crazy about shoes, but I actually want to create shoes. And, and for me, I think being a mature designer, it wasn't just about designing because I knew what I wanted, it was really, my, my kick was the act of creating the shoes, of actually making it and creating a style and saying that, how can I make this functional? Mm-hmm. So and that was really my aha moment. And I just literally, honestly, I do writing. I started researching. I knew I wanted to go back to Europe because I'd moved uh, to America from Europe and uh, I wanted that craftsmanship. So I went back to Milan, um, researched a few courses, stayed in Milan for a year, did, did a shoe course. And then I went to Florence and I stayed for another year, just really learning the ins and outs of making shoes. And I felt like, oh my God, this is my passion. It wasn't just creating the design. It was the act of designing a piece of shoe, a shoe and then, actually transforming that shoe into the actual product. Mm-hmm. So that process is actually what brings me joy. And um... <laughs> That's amazing. And you, you said some really great things there. I really want to make sure our listeners hear. So Sharif, and this is the part of the story life that I love. I love being able to point out to people that it's possible to like have a second act, you know, to have like this one career and then to change midway and decide I have a different passion. I have a different, you know, interest I want to pursue. You you have an undergraduate degree in computer science. You have an MBA in IT infrastructure and experience at the C-suite level in Pest. So you left all of that behind to go to Italy, to go to Milan and to study shoe design. And for, you know, most people who are listening, um, you know, we know the Jimmy Choo's, we know Manolo Blahnik and Chris, you know, Christian Louboutin and all of those things. The, the European tradition of footwear is very uh, long and it's very, um, it can be very elite and uh, very male-based. Male-based. 
Yes. And, and exclusive and white. And so I really wanted to kind of key in on, did you have any fears or insecurities? Number one, in learning something new and making that shift mid-career. And then, you know, knowing the history of European footwear and dealing with white men and this kind of exclusive environment, you know, how did you thrive? Like, how did you survive that? Or maybe it wasn't that, you know, difficult, but what was that like for you? Um, actually, it was very, very difficult. And uh, to tell you the truth, there are lots of sleepless nights, lots of crying. I, my family, my friends were my support. I think for me, instinctively, I knew I wanted to be in this business. So, But I knew that I needed to perfect my craft. And I knew, because I was a consumer of those brands, you know, so I knew that for me as a Black woman to be able to thrive and to even be able to compete in that market, I needed to do my homework. And so going to school, learning at the factory, apprent apprenticeships, um, just really put checking my ego at the door and knowing that I was transitioning from one career to another. The transition itself was very difficult because starting any business, there's a lot of financial hardship you're going to run into. You're going to get it wrong so many times before you get it right. And this is another thing that's a pet peeve of mine, which hopefully as I grow, I can be an advocate for it. Mentoring, mentorship. There was no mentorship. I could find none anywhere, not in the States. I actually found more support in Europe. So, but if you make a decision, you need to know that that is what you want to do. You need to pursue it and you need to be realistic that it's going to take a minute for you to be successful. So that's one. And you have to do your work because you want, you're new to that field. You want to make sure that you've done your homework, you've put in the work and that the product you're bringing out is actually up to par. There's going to be a lot of critics. There's going to be a lot of no's, but I used to call them bullets. I'm like, oh my God, I got shot back, but I'm going to bounce right back. <laughs> so your passion is what's going to bring you back. So you have to be ready for it because honestly, it's not pretty. But because you believe so much in your dreams and you're stubborn, and I was stubborn about mine. So regardless of all the um, obstacles I, 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 or mistakes I made, I came right back. So that's one, transitioning. Then the second part, which is a bit more tricky, which is to make shoes in Europe or made in Italy and be a woman and be a woman of color is very, very difficult. The very first fair I went to, people, did, people thought I was a salesperson. They could not believe that I was actually the face of the brand that Chelsea Paris. Because they like, oh, are you from, is this brand from France? Is it whatever? Every person that came to my stall, I had to lecture yeah. that I was face. This is Chelsea Paris. It's me. It's my children. Because, because they're not used to seeing um, a, a woman of color in that role. So there's a lot of... Um, there's a lot of issues that you walk through. I didn't let it define me. I struggled with it. I have to be honest. And you have to, because if you don't struggle with it, you don't know how you're going to react. Right, and right. Um, so I had a lot. But luckily, I think eventually the product spoke for itself. The quality, the price point, the value, it was very, very comparable to the, to my competitors. They were being the materials. The, it was just because it was a labor of love. It, and it wasn't about profit. It was just about making the perfect product and making sure that they fit. So I think eventually the product stood out and I, and I ran into obstacles, I won't lie. I'm not gonna go into all of that, but any industry you go, especially when you go into a male dominated European industry, everybody's gonna think that they won't even look at you. I swear to God, they thought I was a salesperson. I don't you know. know. <laughs> True story. <laughs> and uh, I had to fight my way. I just kept saying that the product speak for itself. And when Barney's picked up the product, 
a lot of people didn't even know it was me. It was a black woman. I remember when I went there the first time to do a trunk show in New York, all the sales people were just in awe. I had this black girl that was selling. She came to me. She was just so proud and so like, oh my God, you're Chelsea Paris, it's you. So that brought me joy. And, and seeing people, Beyonce, people wait. The support was really, I think the support overshadowed all of the obstacles and all of the naysayers and all of the issues I went through. So um, I think my advice would be, if you're going to a, uh, you're transitioning and you're going to a field that is dominated with, with male or people of color or people of um, other races, you really need to make sure that your product speaks for itself, regardless of who's the face, because you're not buying the face. They're actually buying the product. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for um, that advice. And I, I know we both can uh, relate to um, being in male dominated um, industries. Um, I myself am a, a designer. Um, I am a, a UX designer. I work on websites and apps and in the tech industry, it's very uh, male uh, dominated um, as well. So definitely um, can uh, relate to being the only one um, in that space and also um, making a, a career transition as well. I had left a career um, in psych to uh, pursue um, design. And so um, really excited just to, to hear a little bit more about um, some of the obstacles that you um, overcame and allowing um, the positives and the blessings to overshadow um, the negativity and um, the agility. Like you said, they're just dodging bullets yeah. and um, <laughs> overcoming um, obstacles. And so I know that uh, it can be a really complicated um, process um, design. And, um, and I understand the design cycle, no matter what industry you're in, whether that's fashion or, or tech. And that's a very iterative um, process, a lot of testing, making sure that you have the right MVP or right product. And so I wanted to chat with you a little bit more about making the product um, stand out about the shoe and um, what the process is like um, creating um, a shoe and what sort of the aesthetic of um, Chelsea Parrot is. So for me, um, early on, I knew that I had to define my market and I had to define my look. And for me, what I saw or what other people saw as a disadvantage for me was an advantage. So being a woman of color, being black, being African was my, was my advantage. And that's what I wanted to celebrate. So I knew right away that the biggest inspiration for my brand was going to be my culture because I knew that there was just a wealth of information, a wealth of, um, of inspiration to draw, to draw from. So for, um, for me, the design process is very interesting. Yeah, my team, every, every season, I, I'm like, okay, where do I want to go? Where do I want to go in Africa today? I pick, I pick somewhere in Africa, if it's a town or it's a, it's a country. Let's say we're doing, actually we're doing safari now. So let's say we're doing uh, African safari. And so I do a lot of research. And then we create a mood board, you know, based on materials, on colors, and then I start with like, okay, what, depending on what the season is, if it's a boot, if it's a autumn, winter, we do a lot of transitional products, we do boots. So then I start with the design ideas and come up, okay, what are design elements? And it's very, very important to limit it because when you do too much, your message gets lost. So start from what is your key design element? So for us, it could be, okay, we want to do zebra this season. And then we start from the material and then start using that material to figure out, okay, how would that look on a sandal or a boot? So, but for me, the most important part of the design process for me, which that brings me joy is 
creating the design, designing the shoe. And for me, it wasn't really about the designing the shoe. It was actually about the act of making the shoe. So there's a distinction. So um, I'm very, very involved in that process because that's actually what makes the product. You can design such a beautiful uh, design on paper, transforming that to actual product is a whole different world. You have to create a lot of prototypes. You have to do a lot of fit. Because for us, fit and function is very, very important. And that's one advantage I also have about, above my male counterparts because it's one thing for my male counterparts to say, I'm going to create the most sexy shoe, whatever. But they don't know that it doesn't fit. They don't know that you can only wear it for five minutes. But for me, it's, I'm thinking, because I am my consumer. So I'm already thinking that I have to be able to wear the shoes. I'm in the UK. I have to be able to actually walk to the train station or walk to the bus stop in my heels and be comfortable and wear it for three, four, five hours without been going crazy so those are i factor all of that into my design process and then i work directly with the factory hand in hand literally hand in hand because i was able to do that one year of um apprenticeship in in in, in italy i'm able to argue with them i'm like okay i need to change this trap i need to be here that oh no 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 it's not possible I'm like i know it's possible do this so i'm able to argue back and forth and eventually, so there's a collaboration with the factory because they're going to make your production. So you have to be in a good space with them. So yeah. making multiple uh, prototypes. Fit, fit is very important. Having a fit model, try the first prototypes, making your corrections, doing a prototype again, making your corrections, and then eventually getting to the right sample. And then having multiple people try it and work in the show to know that, okay, this is a good product. So, I mean, obviously looks, and, and color materialization is very, very important. So you have to make sure that you marry the function, you marry the form, which is kind of what you call the last, and then you marry the materialization. Materialization is your narrative, right? It's what your inspiration is, what you look at the shoe. I'm like, oh, okay, I can see where she's going. It's a bit exotic, it's tribal. Like the angel you have is a fusion Africa. I have a snake print that is PVC. I have a beautiful orange color. And I have these balls heels that is literally stemmed from my con rolls that my mom used to do on me with the beaded con rolls. So those are like things I, I take on my inspiration board and transform into the product. Yeah, yeah. And I actually think like and we'll have information about all the products that we feature in the interview but I love um you know everything you're saying and I think you know as someone myself I have a background and a degree in fashion design as well it's really important for you to really understand the entirety of the design process because then you have ownership and power because you have knowledge so when you're talking to somebody who's manufacturing your goods you actually understand what is possible and what is not possible and can advocate and that's incredibly important um and yeah a lot of us get caught up in the design and the look of things but it's the it's the it's the process of what is practical because it has to be worn even though fashion is fantasy and beauty, you know, it's also something that we live our lives in. And I love um, how much uh, like love and attention to detail and consideration that you put into the, the actual like manufacturing process of the shoes and not just the design element. Um, I also wanted to talk about, you know, just kind of backing up a little bit and, and talking about, you know, the difficulties that you faced and just 
the lack of ability to find mentorship or just apprenticeships and um, just sponsorship, really, as a, as a Black woman and as a designer. Um, you know, I know as Black creatives, for, for all of us, it's always hard when we are trying to eke out an existence for ourselves in an industry. Um, there are so many things we're dealing with from a lack of access to a lack of sponsorship, um, and then the microaggressions that are just like a daily dodging bullets. Um, your work is so compelling because you have chosen to embrace who you are and what makes you distinct. And I think I wanted to know about that, like embracing your heritage and your work. Did you ever feel pressure to hide your identity? Was it a process of, of growing to be more comfortable with this is who I am and this is what I'm bringing? I know for us, it, it's been a process and, yeah. you know, growing into your own womanhood and owning your heritage and owning who you are. Sometimes that's a process for people. Sometimes that's immediate. How was that for you? Because it's such a key part of what makes Chelsea Paris, Chelsea Paris. For me, it was a journey, and I, I would like total transparency. Um, I, I'm more matured now, so I'm able to like speak my truth and walk in my purpose. But it wasn't always like that. It's a, it's so I, when I started my brand, I was so I so wanted it to be successful, and um, and I actually got achieved success very early on. Like I said, Barney's picked up the brand, and um, but I feel like during. When you, when you do wholesale, um, you lose your narrative and you cater to your wholesale, your retailers. And normally they have what will sell. So yes, African was my narrative, but I didn't feel that would sell. It wasn't commercial. It wasn't cool. It wasn't whatever. And so for me, I actually lost my process. My PR actually helped me a lot with it. I lost my process in the, in, in, I lost myself in the process. And it was really tough because being a black woman, um, being the face of Chelsea Paris, a lot of people could not align that with the brand. So people out of goodwill, like, why don't you hire a white CEO? Why don't you be behind the scenes? And for me, I didn't like it. And it was a bit disrespectful, but I didn't say anything because I was still finding my footing. I was like, okay, I need my brand to be successful. And for the fact that I won't consider it, I, I slap myself multiple times when I think about that. But it was part of my growing process into my own womanhood. And, and um, so eventually the product was just whitewashed and I lost myself. Uh, you know, two, three, four years into my success, everybody's wearing my shoes, it's in Barney's, it's in, it's in Nostrum, it's in name it, level in Dubai, all of these elite stores. And I wasn't happy because the reason I created the, the brand was to celebrate my heritage. And I lost that totally. And I actually took two years off. I took a break. And I was like, because I was actually just, I took a break. I was not happy where I was mentally. And I was like, this is not what I wanted the brand to be. And the more I was becoming more popular, the brand was becoming successful. The narrative that I didn't want was sticking out there. You know, so I, I remember speaking to my uh, when I was trying to come back, speaking to Liz, my PR, that I want to come back and I want to really do me. I want to do the, the essence of Chelsea Paris, the reason I started my brand in the first place. And she's like, Teresa, the best way to do this is direct to consumer. With direct to consumer, you can control your narrative. You can do whatever colors you want to do. You can do any quirky mixes that you're fond of doing and you sell it. And I knew that 
there was an audience there because I was a customer. I was that free-spirited girl. I was that woman that felt like if I wanted to wear my pajamas and my red high heels to the grocery store, that was me. Depending on how I feel, I express myself fashion-wise. So I'm like, there must be a collective out there. There must be, yes. there must be those type of people that, that think like me, whether you're black. It, it, it crosses color, actually. It's just your mentality. is the way you look at your life. It's the way you express yourself. So yeah. I told him, like, that's what I want to create. I want to go back and reclaim my narrative. I don't care about wholesale. I just want to be happy. I might, I can sell only five pairs, but selling five pairs would bring me joy than selling 2,000 pairs. Right. And it took a process. Like I said, I took two years off. I had to kind of look within and say, okay, am I willing to take this risk? And guess what? The risk so paid off that I didn't know 2020 was going to happen. We were talking about the collection, putting everything together, beautiful material, snake skin, vibrant colors, 2019, getting it ready for direct-to-consumer. And we were getting ready to launch, getting all the samples ready. And then 2020 happened. Mm -hmm. COVID happened. I'm still not understanding how COVID was going to impact our business. They were like, okay, how do we launch? But we're not sure of COVID. Then the social justice of 2020, summer of 2020 happened. And I was like, if I'm Liz and I were like, oh my goodness, this was the pad I was already on. And then when 2020 happened, I'm like, everything aligned. I'm like, yes, that means I was on the right path. And yeah. just really amplified that message. I'm like, you know what? This is me. My face, I'm black, I'm African, I'm unapologetically black, I'm doing me. I want to do snake skin today, I want to do yellow. You don't have to buy it, but I know there's a consumer out there. Yeah. Well, it's a journey. I don't think every young girl, woman needs to know that you're not born like that. You know yourself, but there's a process of finding yourself and arriving and say, this is me. I'm unapologetic. Take me, leave me. I have a voice. That's it. And I know for me personally, that switch turned on at like 28, right before 30 of just, mm -hmm. this is who I am. Take it or leave it. I love myself. You know, I'm not for everyone, but I'm for me. And if you're for me, great. If not, that's okay. Yeah. And, you know, I think um, what interests me about everything you said is I, I love history and I love um, just sort of tracking these kind of moments in, in culture. And it's interesting that as we are, as we've come to a moment in our culture where, you know, women are really embracing who they are and becoming more um, empowered in themselves and their points of view and their perspectives. At the same time, I feel like there, there a shift sort of happened in fashion where we're in a moment that is leading towards more personal style, which yes. lends itself better to direct to consumer brands, which is why that's become such a phenomenon. And I think the kind of the old model of wholesale and, you know, you have these, these kind of buyers and these stakeholders that think they understand what, you know, the mass market wants. And then you have to kind of fit yourself into that commercially. It, it, you know, that is just so like dial up. It's just so, I mean, it still exists, but it's the past. And women who, like you said, it's a mindset of how we all want to dress ourselves and how we want to feel today. We're looking for the brands that fit into our 
personal narrative of what we see for ourselves and how we want to adorn ourselves and dress ourselves. And so there's so many incredible things happening just in that moment with fashion and with history. And then there's also the other piece you mentioned of just, you know, the pandemic and then this sort of eruption of, uh, you know, the fight for Black liberation and for Black lives. And that has been an ongoing thing for almost a decade. I mean, for years, but I, but in, you know, um, I would say in, in recent history, the Black Lives Matter movement, um, and really found its kind of apex after pan- after the pandemic or during the pandemic, and we were seeing this resurgence for Black-owned businesses. And so when you chose to commit to yourself and say, I'm going to do me, you know, I really feel like that was such a serendipitous moment because now it's exactly what people want. We want to buy Black. We need to buy Black. There have always been designers who have been amazing Mm -hmm. and have not had their flowers. And so I love that you have chosen to commit to yourself and whether the cultural moment supports it or not, it's always important for us to bring our full selves to the market and the marketplace of of things or ideas. And to stay true to um, ourselves and to our values. And I think that in, in doing that, you find a niche market or audience who wants um, your product. Mm-hmm. Um, and in talking about the Black Lives Matter movement or in shopping um, our values, one thing um, that we love about you is just um, your sustainable design practices. Yeah. I wanted to know if you can chat a little bit more about how your team um, reduces our waste and environmental um, protection for Chelsea Paris. Yeah. So for, for us, when I was restarting the brand, when I wanted to do the direct-to-consumer, I, because I'd already gone through the heartache of uh, wholesale, I felt like my second time around, I wanted to be responsible. I wanted to be, um, I wanted to be like socially conscious. I wanted to be conscious of the environment and I wanted to give back. So there were three things that were really huge for me and I felt like, in my coming back, I have to hit those three things. If not, we're not going to launch. One was um, um, actually the craftsmanship and the quality, which, like I said, brings me joy. I feel like your product should be timeless. Ten years from now, you have a pair of Chelsea Paris shoes. It should still be relevant and it should still be functional. The second was sustainability. I was like, we have to do our part. That Because we go to this, I go to these later affairs with my team. I'm like, we have to seek out those suppliers that take the time to make the environment better. You know, I, in full transparency, it wasn't going to be a hundred percent, but I knew that it was going to be a transitional pro, um, process for us. So, if my if we go to the to the letter fair and they have this, they have a snake print. I'm like, do you have it in another way? How is it made? Some will say, oh, okay, this is made uh, animal dal, blah blah blah. I'm like, okay, no, we're not interested. This is vegetarian. Okay, we're interested. Tell me more. Uh, there's all okay. There's no copper here. There's no metal. Is this free? And then, uh, oh, guess what? We have another way that's totally 100% sustainability. They show you all their certificate. They show you their their process. And I'm like, do you know what? We have to be responsible. So 100% of the collection is not sustainable. I won't lie, but at least from a materialization standpoint, 50% is. And then we took it further to our factory. Because even the glue and the gum that we use, they have sustainable ones. So we are like, do you know what? We'll pay for that. Even if it's a few cents more, we'll pay for that. So we are slowly changing, not just our suppliers, but even our manufacturing process and our factories to like, this, we want, this is what we want for Chelsea Paris. 
So I felt like that was very important to me. We have to be socially responsible, positive fashion. And the third was giving back. Because I felt like you get success. I didn't have any advocates. I didn't have mentors. And I feel like we have to be able to help. You have to pay it forward. You have to be able to pay it forward. So no matter how small, you can help the whole world, but you can start by helping one person, mm -hmm. you know? And so for all the three tools was craftsmanship, sustainability, and um, giving back. And I wanted to change that. Um, I wanted to change the misconception of like, oh, if you, if you get a sustainable leather, it's not fashionable, it's not pretty. But like, I know every textile that we use today, every print you see is sustainable. And people don't believe it. Like, really? I'm like, yes. I'm like, we tell you the process, the manufacturing process. We tell you what's being used. And, and you're still wearing it in a fashionable way. So why can't we be, be socially responsible? Why can't we be positive with our fashion? Right. And uh, so those three things are kind of like, I didn't arrive here today. For me, it was a journey, like I said. But because I'm where I am today now, and I'm like, regardless of what I sell, it has to be what I want to do. I have to be able to sleep at night. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And that I think is what makes it so easy to, you know, buy from designers like you and brands like you. And why I think, you know, this podcast and it's so important because it's brand discoverability. We want to, we want to discover brands that, you know, when we buy from them, we feel better about it. We feel like our dollars are going towards people who are conscious with how they're using them. And so I love that, you know, you guys are, you know, Sustainability, I think it's a, it's a process for brands, you know, it's not going to be a hundred percent at once, but I think it's about keying in on, Hey, where are the places where maybe we can afford to do a little bit more or to make a better choice? Love that you said that. Um, and it's so, it's so important. Um, I also wanted to back up a little bit because you talked about paying it forward. And I yes. love that you said that. Um, it's, it's so amazing to me because when you invest in women and when you invest in people of color, it's just, it's just so, I think, instinctual in us to want to give back because we're, we, we have always been in a position of really reaching and trying to move beyond what people see for us. And so once we get where we get, it's almost instinctual to want to give back. Um, I did read that sort of every so often you, you elect a place in which you want to maybe donate some of your proceeds. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Um, yeah, so it's actually fun. So every season we try to say, okay, where do we want to go? Who do we want to give to? Because so many people need so many things. So there are so many um, organizations out there. So every season we try to choose an organization, whether it's in Africa. Right now we have one in Africa that 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 supports um, women entrepreneurs by um, creating um, energy because electricity is really, really hard in Africa. So solar energy is what they are cultivating and using that as a business. But in the past, we've also worked with footwear. Like there's a huge um, uh, company, what's it called? Um, it's a footwear organization. And during the pandemic, a lot of the footwear associates were really suffering. They were let go. And I had a lot of stock. So there was a lady in LA that was in the LA chapter and we were able to donate a lot of our stock to them. And what they do is that they sell it to like the um, wholesalers or retailers and then get that money and they're able to like give a, a check or give a, a gift card to a, a, a footwear associate that's been let go or things like that. So we do that as well. So I, we do that behind the scenes. We've not really, really publicized that even though they want us to always shout them out. 
But for me, it brings me joy because that's also who I am. Like you said, women instinctively want to help each other and pay it forward. So, um, so that's a joy. So my team comes with different, my team and my PR comes with different organization. And um, when we had the issue with Nigeria, because that's very dear to me with the uh, NSARS, we wanted to donate 10% of our proceeds for that month just to them. So um, yeah, but for me, the goal was that every season, with that three to six months of sales season, whatever, 10% of our proceeds goes to the organization. And we keep in touch with them and we want to see how we can help them more and just spotlight them so that everybody is aware of them. So I think, um, yeah, you, like I said, you can help everyone, everyone, but you can start small and that you, you pay it forward to one organization. The organization can pay it forward to another one. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's amazing. And yes, there are so many places that need help, but I think it's important for us to zero in on where can we do the most good and where can our efforts go? And I love that you, you know, talked about um, what was happening in Nigeria and just with their own fight for justice, where concerns police brutality and some of these other things. Um, it's amazing. And, you know, I, I love that you want to do good and keep it to yourself, you know, <laughs> it's important to just do good because it's the right thing to do and not always for a marketing perspective, you know, or for the hashtag. So I love that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And in line with um, giving back, wanted to jump back a little bit to our previous conversation of um, your daughters um, and giving back kind of starts um, at home and a legacy uh, building mm -hmm. and um, wanting to know a little bit more about um, what lessons um, you'd like to pass down to um, your daughters, Chelsea um, and Paris regarding uh, the work that you've done. Mm -hmm. And how old are they, by the way? Yeah. Um, so Paris is actually 14. Okay. okay. Uh, Chelsea is an old lady. Guess what? She's <laughs> <laughs> That's how I was. You know, the 13 going on 30. And yeah. 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 So, yeah, I mean, because you mentioned it a little bit before, but I'm sure they see you go to work every day on, on conference calls, doing interviews like this. Um, and you talked about just wanting them to know it's possible for them. Um, is there yeah. anything that they see that they, um, you know, like are curious about, are they, do they have a design bug yet? Or are they kind of just like, that's mom's thing? One of them do, Paris does. Paris is actually very, very creative, extremely. Uh, and then Chelsea, she actually helps with my social media. She's very savvy. Yeah, she's very savvy with social media. I mean, like you guys are all these 18, 19, 20, they're all very savvy. So, but she, funny enough, she's more of a tomboyish, but she has a very good eye. So when I, when it comes to me uh, doing my colors, my colorways I want to produce everything I'm like well what do I cut she's very very objective so I'm practical mm -hmm. so she's actually my partner when it comes to color she's like oh no I think that sells better I think that's more uh, uh, that can bring more uh, that's more diverse so you can wait more whatever and so she's able to help me eliminate um colorways I do I really should cut because I produce too much uh, but for me the biggest thing I wanted to leave for them is actually my the legacy the legacy that my mom was an entrepreneur. They're saying that uh, um, you can be a woman, you can be a mom, you can be uh, hardworking, and you can act, actually be a wife and also have a job. And I wanted them to, I tell them all the time, I don't want you guys to be followers. I want you guys to be leaders. I want you guys to know that you can follow your dreams. I want you to be entrepreneurs. But I also to teach them that 
being an entrepreneur is a, is a building block and it's a learning lesson. So I tell them, which I would have told my younger self is like, go and get a job, whatever industry or passion that you have, go and get a job in that industry, intern, do whatever it takes, learn the ins and out of that job because the same is struggle. And I'm like, mm-hmm. you need to learn and burn your teeth in a different company. So that when you're ready to start your own, you already are coming in with some lessons because there's so many pitfalls, there's so many mistakes that you're making. But for me, the biggest inspiration I hope they take from my success or from from my um, entrepreneurship is that, okay, if my mom could do it, I can do it. I have an example in my mom that, yes, no matter how many times she fell down, she stood up, she was successful. She, she just kind of like being resilient and still going after your dream and building a lasting legacy. You know, when I was in the UK before I came um, this year, actually, I had a guy that wanted to buy my company so badly. I met him at the fair and he's still hunting me. I'm like, no, I created this business for my babies. I created it for my legacy. I don't want to sell it. So, and I hope I hope they see, they worry about me, Chelsea, especially that I'm, you know, so you're an entrepreneur, you're literally working 24-7. So she worries, but... Um, but I hope she's able to take the good and take all of the lessons of that. Okay, my mom is a go-getter. My mom is able to stand up for herself. My mom believes that, okay, she has a seat at the table and that, um, and she's living a legacy for us. Yes, I hope. And I mean, they sound like wonderful girls and it reminds me of just myself and Jolene and just the fact that, um, you know, having those examples in our moms, no matter who they are, um, you know, as black women, seeing our moms struggle, seeing our moms make sacrifices, but also seeing our moms succeed. Um, you know, it just roots you in a different way as a little black girl, you know, you need that. And I'm so glad that they have that in you. And even though you're not my mom, I'm so proud of you. And it lets me, because you live and breathe and you're who you are and you're doing this, you know, it's, um, it, means that much more for the things that I choose to do because I can look around me and see other black women who are creatives, who are taking risks and who are being successful. Um, so it's an example to all of us. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I wanted to segue a little bit towards the end of our conversation on this season and just kind of wanted to know what shoes are coming out for spring. And I know I have here the um, Angel Mule and the orange mix, and Jolene has the Kelds platform, which is really cute. It has like almost like a 75 yeah, to it. it. Um, yes. So what are you excited for with spring in terms of this collection and, and just moving into the summer with footwear in general? Exactly. So uh, spring, I'm really excited about mules. We have a lot of slides coming in beautiful colors. So there's one of our signature, you don't have a similar, but it's called the Ace. So it was one of our successful brand uh, styles when we launched uh, in September. So I've kind of created more categories. So it came in, a, I believe it was an 85 millimeter, which is about three and a half or four inches. Now we have it in about 2.5 inches. And we also have it in a slide in, in a flat and beautiful colors. We have a beautiful red, uh, air blue, yellow, tan, which is more versatile. So that is coming. I'm really, really excited about that. And then the curls that you have, I also have a slide in that curls. Um, we have it in blue. We have a jean woven color one that is coming up. Very, very limited. Uh, actually, this is sustainable material, but they literally had it in two meters. And so what you get, what you see is what you get. Limited fashion, limited quantities, 
that's it. So I'm excited. It's a little, it's very, very summery. Uh, that's what's coming. And lots of colors, obviously, yellows and blues and red and tans. Um, what else? And then we've been designing our new collection, Autumn Winter, which is going to come later. Uh, I believe we're probably going to launch in August. I'm so excited for this one because we couldn't travel. Normally every season we travel. So I decided to think of an African safari that I took a long time ago. And I told my my um, my team, uh, Raphael in London, I'm like, do you know what? I really want to do travel. I want to go back to South Africa. I want to go back to Kenya. I want to like the sunset, the lands, the, the, the sand, the red sand, all of those things that you see. So we have a lot of zebra prints. We have snake skins. We have beautiful brown colors and a Mary Jane. I'm just really, really so jazzed about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's coming in August. But for summer, summer is just fun color. We're just like, okay, post-COVID, I want to wear my slides. I want to wear my colors. I want to leave the house. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> go on vacation. I go have dinner or lunch with friends. I have drinks. So that's really what the summer collection is about. It's just like a knockabout. I want to get out of the house. Yeah, so. <laughs> just COVID is over. Thank God I survived it. <laughs> and we have a cocktail. <laughs> exactly. I love the pop of color shoe. Like I love a pop of color shoe. So I'm really excited to see, especially in the slides, ones that I can just wear with like, you know, your cutoffs or your maxi dresses. So I'm excited for that. And the safari inspiration for fall. Yeah. Oh my God. I was reading about that. Oh my God. We have some wicked zebras. I have a zebra coming in camel, which is okay. very, very safari. And then we have one in, in a, in a monochrome black and white, which is a, uh, amazing. I have a beautiful snake skin that is very wearable. Um, what does it have coming with the, um, I'm just really so excited. Though. And then we have the funny thing with this collection is that it's safari. So it's exotic, but it's actually city is what you can wear in city. So we have a Chelsea with a bit of a platform, we have a Mary Jane that has a, it's a bit quirky, has a bit of a platform and it's a block hill. And, um, but it's really, really fun. It's mixing my heritage with the Western world and creating what you can wear today, but you can see the history and the heritage behind it. Yes. And so. inherent, in, inherent in all of that juxtaposition is a lot of versatility because yeah, it's exactly. reflecting so many things. That's so yes. interesting. Um, what closing out, what is something that you are excited, excited to tackle in the future? Something you maybe haven't tried yet or want to explore more with your company? Actually, what I want to do in the future is not really about design for me. Okay. Two things. I'll answer this, that question in two folds. One, we want to be thinking about going into like, um, handbags, but not really like maybe more clutches because we have a lot of these beautiful material mixes that I'm thinking that, okay, maybe I can do like a little clutch that can not really go with the shoe, but like you can, it can go in the mix. So you can get a blue shoe and then you have like a, a, a print that has a blue in it or orange or whatever that can still show your personality. So we're thinking of that from a, from a product category. But for me, from a social category, I really wanted to go into mentorship. I don't know how I'm going to do that. I have to work my PR. I want to like reach, reach out to schools, especially the inner city schools and create a mentorship program for design yeah. and help you know, almost be an advocate and bring opportunities that, okay, yes, you want to design shoes, you want to design clothes or whatever it is you want to do and just mentor them through that, those stages of the design process. That's really something that I hope I can bring to fruition. And that's what is really kind of on my horizon because I didn't have that because I didn't have that. So for me, it's very, very personal. I feel like it's really in the black because when it comes to internships, 
again, this is where a lot of the systemic racism was. A, a white woman or white girl would get an internship before a black person. And I'm like, but we are so creative. I went to Oakland, my daughter's school in Oakland, and I went there and I went to a trunk show. I was just blown away how cool we are, how creative we are, but no opportunities. You know what I mean? And just that providing that nurturing that you can take your dream and just try to avoid mistakes and get you to that world stage is actually one of the goals I really want to do. And I pray I'm able to, to do that. Yeah, um, I'm really excited um, to hear that, just creating um, a, a pipeline of the, the next yeah. um, Black um, creatives um, and giving people um, opportunities. Um, you're right. We are very cool and very creative people. Um, and it's sad that um, due to um, obstacles and systematic um, racism and other uh, uh, problems um, that we have faith that um, sort of our creativity is either on a cap or uh, on impact um, in some sense. So really love um, hearing about um, mentorship and this um, desire to, to mentor um, the next um, designers or the next um, creatives. I think that's really um, important. And I pray that's something that does come to I hope. fruition. Yes. Yeah, because I think for me, like I, um, after high school, I spent two years studying fashion design and graduated and then got another degree in art history. And it was my desire to go directly into working in fashion design and coming from the East Coast and being near New York. It was just really hard to kind of penetrate that environment and not, there just wasn't any sponsorship and there weren't opportunities. And so I ended up segueing my career and I'll find my way back eventually. But, you know, it's, it's really important for people to understand the ecosystem of how it works when you are learning uh, a trade like fashion design. If you don't come from a family that is established and wealthy, it's really going to be hard for you to take these internships where there isn't pay. And that's sometimes easier for white privileged women or men to say, well, I can go work for whatever designer for like, you know, six months and not get paid. And, um, you know, it's also important to just get something on your resume, you know, offering a mentorship opportunity, you can say, Hey, I did that. You know, I was there, I learned a skill. Um, so I think what you're doing is super important and I know it will be, it will come into fruition because the demand exists for it. So. Yes. I I pray so. And another thing I actually want to tell viewers is that yes, you can transition from one career to the other, but if you have a job, full transparency in as much as I transitioned, some of the money that came from my business was from my day job mm-hmm. because I had a tech job that was paying six figures and I was spending money, emerging money in my passion because for me, for you to get to a point where it becomes profitable is a journey. Mm-hmm. And people need to understand that, okay, I'm just, uh, yes, I'm not just going to quit and then I go do fashion and then I'm just going to start making money. It doesn't work that way. Uh-oh. It takes a minute. So, and you're going to put more money into it before you start seeing those returns so whatever, whether it's family, whether it's a second job, whatever it is, it's, it's almost, it's a hustle, right? This is your passion. You're going to do whatever it takes to make it work. So. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and it's so much easier to make it work when there are resources available and people mm-hmm. available to take you under their wings. So Teresa, thank you so much for making the time to talk to us today. Um, it has been a pleasure. Like it was amazing just reading your story, but it was so much more impactful hearing it from you. Um, I'm really, I really hope when we, like things open up again that we can, you know, 
see you in person or pop by and buy a pair of shoes or um, just support you in any way that we can. Um, and I just also want to mention to our listeners again, I am wearing the Angel Mule and Orange Mix. Um, Jaleen has the Kells platform and Tan Suede. We're going to link in this feature so that people can, if you're interested, you can shop these shoes, but also Chelsea Paris is carried in global luxury retailers like Nordstrom's and Barney's, um, as Teresa mentioned. Um, thank you again for sharing your journey with us, Teresa. We're so excited to see what comes for you. Thank you so much for having me and you girls are doing an amazing job. Just keep up the good work and bring the exposure to everybody. Thank you so thank you. much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye, Teresa. Bye. Bye. Yes. <laughs> Bye.